Friday night for our Sabbath, we were reading these, and I had trouble with my reading and said that uh, Joseph was the mother of Mary, and uh, Brenna got a kick out of that and reminded me that I said it wrong several times. We are in between a series at the present time, and what generally is done at that point is either a... uh, Uh, individual sermon, or sometimes what I call the portions and passages, uh, a message taken from the traditional readings for the week. And this week, there are two of them that I've included in the the message. And uh, the reason for that is there is a psalm in this week's uh, passage, Psalm 71, that I've been reflecting on recently, uh, among others, with a similar theme. Uh, The theme is related to a life of walking with God and having a testimony of God's faithfulness and grace. I, as many of you, uh, not many of you, but those who are my age, uh, Dr. Lewis and I were talking about this this week, um, are confronted on a monthly and sometimes weekly basis that the generation before us is rapidly leaving this life to be with the Lord. That places us at the edge of the evil days, knowing that we are next in line. So I want to speak to you today of a biblical attitude regarding establishing in youth and maintaining through life a life of praise to the Lord. Uh, And I want to begin with the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the misunderstood texts uh, of the scriptures. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. It's a passage that you know well, and I've talked about it a lot, so I'm just going to read it to set the foundation. In uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning at verse 8, it says, Indeed, if a man should have many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desire of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for these things. So, and this is great advice right here, remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. A couple of us were talking this week uh, at Cal Baptist and we were mentioning that uh, we were about 25 years old a couple of weeks ago. Just goes like that, you know. Uh, so remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come, and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. And then it goes on to describe the breakdown of the human body uh, as we come closer to death. Something that is not an accident. It is part of the plan of God and begins to have a person reach the point where they say, I don't care if another Star Wars movie is coming out. I'm not sure I want to see it. You know, you just kind of disengage from this life as you look more to eternal things. So this passage tells us two things. The first one is that a time is coming in each of our lives when our physical bodies will deteriorate to the point of the loss of ability and a sense of disillusionment with this world and this life, ultimately ending in the death of the body and the return of the spirit or the life to the Lord. The second one is that we must establish our pattern of intentional walking with God in our youth. 
This is the period of young adulthood, the primary time of marriage and family. It's really your teen years and your 20s up to the age of 30 is the period of youth that the Bible talks about. It's not adolescence. The Bible doesn't know anything about adolescence. It only knows young adulthood. And that's what we are trying to raise our children to be at that point. Young adults, not adolescents, like the rest of America. Uh, And that is where most of you uh, as families are. A few of us, and particularly I, am watching the evil days uh, remove that generation before us. And I'm moving rapidly towards the entrance of that time. That's not bad. It's a normal human cycle. But it's a, it's a difficult thing for someone to face that you have to pace yourself. You have to slow down. You have to pick what you do. If you do this, you're going to be too sore to do this, right? Those kinds of things that are part of, part of this process. So uh, I want to look at... Uh, the biblical texts related to uh, this concept. And I'd like you to turn to uh, Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 10 and verse 12 we're going to look at. It says, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. And if due to strength, 80 years. And in some cases, that strength can bring people into their 90s or even into their 100s. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. So the idea here is that there is a period of time that we have. Generally, somewhere in the 70 to 80, some people get a little bit longer. Some people get an extended time. And for every one of those, there are a lot that don't make it to the 70 and 80 period. But it gives us the general framework uh, with with which we're working. Uh, And these days, the book of Ecclesiastes says, uh, saps our strength with labor and with trouble. Uh, If you want a general statement of the book of Ecclesiastes, life is tough and then you die. Okay, that's, that's kind of it. But it says in that context that you should be able to eat and drink and enjoy the labor of your hands. That's the gift of God. Not if you think that's significant. But if you realize that the only thing in life that can be rejoiced in are those simple things that God has provided for us, instead of thinking of the world as something that we have to fix or we have to ultimately uh, conquer, um, you then can enjoy life and you're supposed to rejoice in all your days. Find something to rejoice in. Uh, I think that's why Jews and Baptists spend so much time eating, you know, because we, we get pleasure out of that. So then in, in chapter 90 of Psalm verse uh, 12, we have these words. So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be for your servants? Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Now, this idea of assessing your life and numbering your days and seeing where you are in the biblical life cycle is really important because at each of the biblical periods of life, there are things to be done. And what I've experienced is that when we're young, (coughs) 
excuse me, here goes that hay fever. When we're young, we can't wait to be older. Because the old people get to do all the stuff. They, they don't have any rules on them. They can do whatever they want, anytime they want. Which isn't true, but that's what you think when you're young. Then when you're older, you say, I wish I was young. They have nothing to do, and they can just do anything they want, right? It's kind of like uh, the single people saying, I wish I was married. You can have sex anytime you want. And the married people say, I wish I was single. You can have sex anytime you want. It's always, it's always this idea that the other group has got it, got it set, right? That's just the way it is. Um, I believe the key to life is knowing where you are on the map of life and making the most of that period. Forgetting the things that are behind and, and embracing what is now with a, a knowledge that the future is uncertain. Uh, and that means that today you can rejoice and today you can praise the Lord. So at the end of Ecclesiastes, we are told these words. Fear God and keep His commandments. Because this applies to everyone. Because God is going to bring every act to judgment, even the hidden things, whether good or evil. We walk in a life of stewardship, and that stewardship is about rejoicing in what God has given us that's good, functioning through the things that are problematic, knowing that they are temporal, and there is an eternity that we have gained that God has given with us. So what do we do? I believe the goal is to have a life of praise throughout your life. Uh, I, I have talked about gratitude in the past. That's certainly part of it. This gratitude comes from those who are humble. If you, if you believe you're entitled to everything, you are not going to be happy in this life. If you believe that nothing is promised, there are going to be some things that you get that you didn't expect and you can rejoice in them and be glad about them. So, so that attitude is really important. But I want to talk more about the idea of praise and it is uh, found in a passage that I think parallels the psalm that I want to read in just a minute. Uh, and it's also in the Psalms. It's Psalm 78. We don't always read the Psalms from the standpoint of the person who wrote them. We tend to read them with our own context in mind. And that's fine. But they really were written with a context that was there. And so, uh, in 78, we have these words. Listen, my people, to my instruction. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. The biblical faith and life is passed down from generation to generation. Uh, we are now in the process of putting it in the generation after us, which are your children. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works which He has done. Now I want you to look at verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born that they may arise and tell them to their children, 
that they may put their confidence in God and not forget his works, but keep his commandments. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Now, you and I are living in one of those generations that is not preparing its heart and not preparing the children. And it's one of the reasons the Disciple Center was established to get us to get that testimony of God in our life. I want you to think about that. God established a testimony in Jacob. It's not Jacob's testimony. It's God's testimony. God is trying to put his reputation in his people. And therefore, in each of us, there is a testimony of God. It's not ours, it's God's. So what's the testimony of God in your life? The testimony of God is a life of praise regarding his faithfulness and his grace that will be read by your children and by your grandchildren for generations to come. Now, I did not see this in my own family, but I have seen it in Linda's family. I've seen it in her father and her mother. I've seen it in her uncles who walked with the Lord. And they, there was a testimony of God in that family. And I want a testimony of God in my family. And in my children and in my grandchildren. That will go from generations. And I'm trying to affect other people's families. Who aren't my biological family but are my spiritual family. So that that testimony of God that's in my life will be proclaimed in the other. Not that they will talk about the Bruce of God. I want them to talk about the God of Bruce. It is God's testimony that we are passing on to our children if we're passing it on to our children. It's there for the children, the generation to come, so that they will know God and not forget His works. And not forget His works in a generation that mocks and doesn't care much about God. So, with that in mind, I want us to turn to the lectionary passage for this week, which is Psalm 71. If you look at the little title there in the NASB, if you're using that, it says, The Prayer of an Old Man for Deliverance. Uh, This is not written by a young whippersnapper. This is written by an old guy, okay? A lot of the psalms are written by the, by the older people. I, I've always been fascinated. I, you know I'm a book reader. Um, and uh, I've only started writing books more of late. And uh, I've always been amazed at the books written by young people and the books written by older people. Books written by young people are theoretical speculation about how it ought to be. And they have all the answers. And it usually doesn't work out. Books written by older folks uh, have a lot of uh, experience in them that says, tried this, it didn't work. Tried that, it didn't work. Uh, I tried this, it worked a little. Probably could have been better if I'd have thought about it more, right? Those, that wisdom is, is really what you get in the older generation. We have, a, we have a culture now that only looks at youth. It's youth-oriented. It's been youth-oriented since the 50s. 
And as a result, even the things for older people now are to make them still be cool and look young and all of that kind of thing. Uh, but there's no fool like an old fool. And there's a difference between uh, the gray-haired wise person and the gray-haired fool. And that's what this is about. So Psalm 71 is about uh, that context. And I want to read it in sections, make some brief comments. I'm not going to spend a long time uh, talking today because with my asthma and hay fever, I don't have the air. (laughs) And to talk, you have to be able to breathe. And uh, I'm already already feeling my energy go. So uh, the children will be back sooner than they expect. Uh, The first six verses. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. You have given commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the grasp of the wrongdoer, the ruthless man, for you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my confidence from my youth. You have sustained me from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Now, this older person is not talking about some come to faith at the end of time. In the in 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 the period after the apostles, there was a mindset that you come to the Lord as late in life as you can. Because when you're baptized, your sins then go away. Well, you're going to do some more sins. So wait till the end of life. Come as close to the end of life, enjoying yourself, living your own life, and then come to the Lord in that kind of deathbed confession. There's a lot of people that think that way. I'm going to get serious with God later. Okay? People who think that way don't get serious with God later. They get ensnared in a life from which there is often no recourse. That's why Ecclesiastes says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. The time to establish the path of your life religiously is in your teens and your twenties. When you are establishing... What your whole life is going to be. You have your life ahead of you. Make it be one where you walk with God. And that's what he, that's what he did. Then in the next section, he says, verse 7 through 16. I have become a marvel to many, for you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails, for my enemies have spoken against me, and those who watch for my life have consulted together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is no one to deliver. God, do not be far from me, O my God, hasten to my help. Let those who are my adversaries of my soul be ashamed and consumed. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek to injure me. But as for me... 
I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long. For I know the sum of them. I will come with the mighty deeds of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, you taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. Now, when I was a young man, hanging around the Youth for Christ meetings, this was the gospel. Your life is a mess, and you come to Jesus and your life will be settled forever. The grass will turn green. The sky will turn blue. You will not be sick. Everything you try to do will succeed because you have come to Jesus. So I came to Jesus. And my life didn't get better. But it did get more stable. And as I struggled and walked with God, I began to see the testimony of God that even though I was a problem, and even though the circumstances around me didn't always get better, I had a comforter and a hope in God that was continual from my youth. And wisdom comes from experience in walking with God. It's really with walking with God through the difficulties that we begin to have the experience of God. Not Bible study. Well, I did Bible study for a long time. And I was full of the Bible and other things. And when I went through my rebellion, I could tell you all the doctrine and I could tell you why you were wrong and I was right. But I had not walked with God and I had not seen His grace and I had not experienced the Bible. I had only studied it. When I came back from my brokenness, I began to struggle to do the Word, not study the Word. And it is in the doing of the Word that you learn, not in the study of the Word. Wisdom and experience comes out of a life of walking with God through His Word. We learn to do and then do to learn. So what is your biblical knowledge? Is it head knowledge? Or is it an experience that is biblically directed and confirmed? The prayer of this wise elder is that God will give strength and opportunity to declare His uh, glory to the next generation. And we see that in the next verses beginning at verse 17. God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. Let me tell you what I know about people who have walked with God a long time. And I bump into them once in a while. As I said, I bumped into them with uh, my in-laws also have bumped into him with the Lambeths, who have a passion for God's Word to reach the next generation. That they will hear and know what God has said. Really easy, as you get older, to just say, I'm done. Let somebody else carry the weight. 
But there is a passion for those who know God, who want others to know God, and they want them to know Him correctly. And that's really what he's saying. Lord, don't abandon me until I tell the next generation what your word says. And what your testimony in me is about. Now, as he goes on here, there's a funny verse. For your righteousness, O God, reaches the heavens. You have done great things, O God. Who is like you? You have shown me many troubles and distresses. You will revive me again. You will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. We go through the valley of crying. We go through difficulties. Uh, as Braden got sick, people always asked me, was that a faith crisis? It never was a faith crisis for us. Our faith was secure. We needed our faith. But it was a tough, tough situation to go through. Thank God we had settled that God could sustain us. Uh, otherwise, we would have doubted in those hours. May you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. What? Isn't that a weird verse? You can just see what the American postmodern narcissistic young person thinks. Yes, God, increase my greatness. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the testimony of God in me. As John said, I must decrease and he must increase. The more people talk about what you've done for God, the less the testimony of God is in you. But when there people talk about what God has done in your life, it's marvelous. I have people who can't believe, knowing me in high school, that I'm where I am. But that's God. It's his testimony. This comes through humility, not through self-promotion. Then in verse 22 he says, I will praise you with a harp. Even your truth, O my God, to you I will sing praises with the lyre. O Holy One of Israel, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you and my soul which you have redeemed. Your tongue will also, uh, my tongue will also utter your righteousness all day long, for they are ashamed, they are humiliated who seek my hurt. As you get older, you can't do as much. But if the testimony of God is in you, you have something to say. You have something to share. You have something to tell of God's greatness in generations past and His promise to generations future. And that's what I want in this congregation. I am watching a generation grow up that I want us to make sure that they know the greatness of the Lord as seeing a testimony in us. It's one of the reasons we have the testimonies in the service. I want the children to hear what God is doing among us so that their experience is that God is with us and God is with them and they will carry that. When we are gone, they will carry that testimony. That testimony that God established in Jacob will continue until the last generation. So God is establishing his testimony in us. He did me in my youth. And I have struggled and walked with God now for 50 years. And he has done great things for me. 
And my goal in these latter years are to praise him for his faithfulness. And I am beginning to find the benefit of the hymns in being able to say those things. It doesn't work with the choruses so much. It really works with those hymns. But many of you are still in your youth or closer to it than I am. I want you to make sure that God's testimony is in your life and that your life begins to be to the praise of the glory of God and not about the glory of your life. So, I want to end with one other passage. And that passage is 1 Timothy chapter 4. And this is Paul speaking to Timothy And Timothy is in his youth, probably in his late 20s. Uh, Therefore, would not be fully accepted in the uh, community of faith as, you know, having it all together, but close to the time when he would be established. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 9, Paul says, It is a trustworthy statement. Deserving of full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive. Because we have fixed our hope on the living God. Who is the savior of all men. Especially of believers. We'll talk about that another time. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. But rather in your speech in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your devotion, your purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed through prophetic utterance and the laying on the hands of the elders. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. The testimony of God will be seen. Now Paul's talking to a young man who will have a ministry context. And our danger in this culture is to think of professional ministers and lay ministers. So let me disabuse you of that. Men... A young man of God, women, a young woman of God is to be an example of the believer, to express the gift that God's given you in the context of the community, to let that testimony of God manifest through you, and no one is to be able to despise you as you walk towards that goal. It's very easy in this culture to have a goal of financial security, to have a goal of a home, to have a goal of all all these things, Jesus said, the nations desire. And your Father knows you have need of them. But seek first the kingdom of God in your youth. Establish the pattern in your household now. The only regrets I have looking back in the last 50 years is that I wasn't as aggressive at this as I think I should have been. I thought I was pretty aggressive. 
I wasn't as aggressive as I could. There are a lot of things I could have resorted. Uh, nobody ever regrets later in life uh, that they, you know, should have spent more time camping and doing all these things. They, there are people that do that, but they tend to have shallow lives. There are people that think, I could have done more to build something, but the reality is the things that we want to focus on is the testimony of God in our life. One of the reasons I gave up the deanship at Cal Baptist certainly was Braden's illness. But as I got towards the end of those years, I started hearing from former students. And they would write me letters and talk about the things I taught in the classes and how it had altered their life. And in what they talked about, the testimony of God was manifest. In all that time, I never got a letter from anyone who said, Bruce, that budget you put together as dean changed my life. The curriculum meetings that you sat in, those were life-changing to me. Okay? So as I looked at the last several years I'm going to be at the university, do I want to be administrating trivial stuff, which is important, needs to be done, but other people can do it, or do I do what I want? And I, I watched it this, this semester again as I gave the testimony of my failure of our marriage and then talked about what God taught me as he put us back together in that context. And I saw it having an effect on people. They got the testimony of God. And I want to do that in the years I've got left. He established it in my youth and he is not forsaking me as my strength ebbs. I will be able to sing his praise. That's a life of praise. I have one. And I highly recommend it to you as well. Let's pray.